Welcome to Fails, Falls, and Fuck-Ups. And on the plate today is a heaping helping of broken dreams, abject failures, and of course, the trials and tribulations of working in the food industry. And to dish all of this out, we're talking to Chef Al Romano. Chef, how are you doing today? How are you doing? Well, you know, after so much wonderful technological joy, we're finally talking to each other, which hopefully will continue. We are. Gotta love the internet. Gotta love technology. Yes. <laughs> so we've already had our first fuck up of the day. Yes, we have. The viewers and listeners can't hear or see that, or at the very least, hopefully they won't. <laughs> but let's get into it. Let's dive into it. Let's start with a little bit of your history. How did you go from, how did you get involved in all this? What made you go, you know, my life should be entirely built around the presentation and the creation of food? Well, it all started when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, actually, when I was in high school, I kind of didn't know what I really wanted to do. Um, I wasn't, uh, let's say, the sharpest tool in the shed. So I kind of, uh, I didn't know. I, I had to do something. I thought I wanted to go into IT. I was a good athlete in high school. I liked to party. I liked to have fun. I liked to chase women. But uh, I, my grades weren't there to get into a really good school. Oh, you know, of course, my mother wanted me to be a lawyer. It didn't happen. I was working in a restaurant. I think my freshman year, first job I got is a dishwasher in a French restaurant. Then I got another job as a busboy in another restaurant. And I stayed at this restaurant for a while, worked my way up to um, all different uh, positions. I, I worked bar, worked front of the house, prep cook, the cook, that they actually let me cook the real food. So I, I thought I had a future there. I had to do something. So I, it was graduation. My, I was going to join the Marine Corps. My dad said he was a he's a Marine, too. He said, no, don't do it. <laughs> um, you know, do something else. So I ended up decided to go into culinary school because I was I was good at it. I, I mean, I didn't think about it. You know, I didn't have to like some people have to study and, and really practice at it. It came more natural to me. So I just started up. Uh, cooking. And I, and I started taking some classes, local community college, got a degree in hotel restaurant management. And I went to the CIA, which was the probably the best culinary school in the country. Um, and that was 1984. I graduated CIA um, and then started working all around New York City, New York. I had a blast. I mean, just had a lot of fun. Um, I never thought I would get that far. Because like I said, it, you know, you think culinary school, oh, it's, it's going to be easy cooking. It was it was hard. It was really hard. Very regimented and uh, learned a lot. And like I said, once I got out, then I, I kind of, you know, just started going all over the place. Now, before we move on and follow your journey that way, I want to clarify something because we see these terms thrown around. You're a chef. You were a cook. Mm -hmm. You might have even at some point been a sous chef. What does it really mean to be a chef? What is the job of a chef. How is that different than a sous chef or just, you know, the guy working the grill? You know, that's a great question because my students ask, you know, I asked that question the first day of class every year. And, um, you know, I, I said, well, what's the difference between a, you know, a chef and a cook? And, you know, they say all these different things, but number one is the money. <laughs> Chefs make a lot more money than cooks. The important part. <laughs> 
the important is, is knowledge, is knowledge, experience, um, and dedication. A chef has to be a leader, has to run the whole show, has to be a manager. It has to be a mother to, to, to sometimes because you sometimes, you know, I'd be in my office. I'd have a waitress crying because her boyfriend is having problems with that. Another time um, I have to deal with, you know, o- other people, you're a psychologist and trying to trying to figure out other problems, what they're what they're doing. Then, you know, of course, you have to be a cook. You have to have eyes behind your head because people steal, walk out the back door with food. Just, just watch everything. But but the bottom line is chef means chief in French, really. And so you're in charge. You're in charge. It's like a god. When I was going to school or coming up the ranks, chef was the god. Chef walks in the room, you jump. You know, that's it. It's like the president walking in the room or whatever. The chef is the man or woman for that matter. It didn't matter. You know, so you'd want to be that person. And it was funny because they could be this big, fat guy you know, and and look really ugly, or it could be, you know, usually they were, you know, these, they were always using these big fat guys. You got to taste the food. You got to know. Right. Never trust a skinny chef. That's what I said. You know, I've lost a bunch of weight. I used to be one of those guys. I lost, you know, about 50 pounds, you know, in the last five years or so. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I'm thinking like what you said about, you know, the cook and chef, Anybody could cook. I mean, anybody could cook. I mean, you've got some great cooks out there, but you have to be a cook to be a chef. I'm a cook. A lot of professionals out there, they'll, or even like on TV, you watch, they're good cooks. Are they chefs? No. I mean, to really be a chef, like I, can, I competed in my life in a lot of uh, culinary competitions, you know, ran, ran restaurants, ran hotels, ran country clubs. It's just running the whole kitchen. It's a business. You know, it's like a whole business. Sometimes you don't even cook. You go in there and you're just making sure everything's happening. You're the conductor. (laughs) The conductor. So more a matter of you would design an item of food, an item of food. That sounds very appealing. Mm -hmm. And then you would pass it along to the people working under you and they would be the ones in charge of making it to your specification. Yeah, and I get all the credit. The chef gets all the credit and it gets all the grief and everything else. So, yeah, you're creating the menu, too, is cost, knowing food cost and and how much to make a profit. That's why, you know, 95 percent of the restaurants out there go under because people think, oh, I'm going to make X amount of money on certain items. Like, granted, I'll ask you a question like on a twenty dollar item. What do you think the owner puts in their pocket at the end of the day after they paid all their help and everything? What do you think? Probably about 20 percent. No way, not even close. Then I would go to five. Right, anywhere between two and 10%. Uh, 10% is a high, but think about it. So even if they made 10% on a $20 item, that's $2 put in, in their pocket. Like, so say, like they're selling a burger for 10 bucks, right? 10, that's a dollar. So think about how many burgers they'd have to sell to make a decent payoff, you know? And that's provided that they've made enough to actually pay the bills. That's all based on, you know, paying the help, labor costs, all that. That's when I say that percentage of a profit margin. So, and, and chefs got to know that stuff. They have to know if they're going to make money and stuff. And you have to control all that stuff in your kitchen, especially on a, on a large scale. How difficult of a job is it? Because for most people, what we get is a romanticized vision on 
Food Network or <laughs> probably the most romanticized pop culture version would be Gordon Ramsay, who is just, you know, he's in a flaming kitchen. He's doing these, his rescues. But how hard is it to really make this happen? It's hard. I'm telling you. It's like I said, so 90 percent so of the restaurants that open are usually closed within five years. Well, actually, first two years they're closed. And after five years, it's just 95 percent. That that's the survival rate. So what you see on TV is a bunch of bullshit. It's fun, it's good to look at, it's drama, but that's about it. That's that's about it. I mean. And, you know, there are figureheads, you know, your Gordon Ramsay's, your Wolfgang Pucks, you know, they're good. They, they know their stuff. But as far as real life experience, I don't know how much they really have. They obviously have a lot of people working for them. They do really well. And that's awesome. Your Bobby Flage, Rachel Ray's. But, you know, when it comes down to it, actually running the place or actually doing it again, they have a, an entourage of people doing everything. But when you're the mom and pop operation, you got your small restaurant, whatever. If you're cooking, you're doing, sometimes you're doing everything you have to, and you, you, you want to delegate. You can't do it all yourself. Definitely. You can't do it all yourself. And that's the problem. And now with help, it's so hard to get because in our, in our industry, the numbers, I mean, I mean, trying to get help people, you know, they want 15, $20 an hour to cut celery and, 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 and rip cabbage apart or whatever. So it's crazy. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. It's one of the toughest jobs out there. And it's hard on your family. For instance, I worked almost 20 years. I never saw having a Thanksgiving off. I was never home with my family for 20 years. Every Thanksgiving, I worked. Every Mother's Day, every holiday, Valentine's Day, whatever. Never get to do, you know, like, and, and like when I was younger in my 20s, all my friends were going out and having fun, partying Friday and Saturday nights. I'd be working until at least midnight you know, in, in, the, in the hotels and the restaurants. And sometimes you got to get up the next day, seven o'clock. I would put in, like when I ran my club, you know, the last club I had, I was probably working 40 hours this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you know, this in three days. How many restaurants did you open? How many of them did you close? And what was the toll on you in doing so? Uh, not so much restaurants. I opened some hotels, but um, never had to close any. Never had to close any, which is, you know, I could tell you about some, some fuck ups in my ice business. But when it comes to the the, the restaurant end of it, um, not, not so many. I, I was I was pretty careful. And I'm I, again, I stayed away from a lot of that stuff. So you always were in conjunction with something. It was never all the risk on you. Um, at first, um, it was when I was younger. Um, I, I thought about, you know, I, I mean, I, I went into the business with um, a couple of partners and it was, um, um, yeah, it was a risk. And I kind of sold out because I didn't want to do it because I was working all the time. And I never took the big, big risk in doing it. I had a couple of chances of doing it. I always ended up working and I had my own catering business. But what I did, I started small and, and whatever I made, I put back into the business. So I, I, I kind of played it safe. I never made a million, you know, like say doing, you know, doing that. But I, I did OK. I mean, I, I did really well. Now, you mentioned how you didn't have a social life because when people are going out, they're going out to go to your place. Right. You're the destination. Correct. So you didn't get to have the life for fun. How much of a toll was that on you in your 20s into your 30s? How much of a toll did it take 
how did you eventually find your way to have a relationship, wife, and eventually children? Our business has one of the highest divorce rates out there, and it cost me my first marriage. So I had kids. I and I, I could, you know, my kids will tell you they hardly saw me their first five years. I mean, like I want, you know, you can't make up that time. And so I didn't see him a lot. So I was working, you know, 12, 14 hour days, six days a week. And I was exhausted on my day off. And then you have to do all the other stuff. So it was, it was hard. It was hard. You know, it was hard on my ex-wife not being around at all. And I had a big commute too, which didn't help. You see your people that you work with more than you do your family. And sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. And a lot of times, you know, the, the chef's banging the waitress or and it's always something doing out there that could get you in trouble. Uh, alcohol is a really big thing in drugs in our business. Back in, in the 70s and 80s, uh, everybody smoked. Everybody went to take cigarette breaks. Then, you know, after work, you go drinking. That's what you did. The whole crew would go out and drink. Anthony Bourdain's book, uh, Kitchen Confidential, probably tells tells it or whatever. He, I mean, all the stuff he he said in there, all true, all true. So, a bunch of cocaine used to get through the fourteen hour days. Not for me, but some other people, yes, definitely for sure. It really took them down. Most chefs, like if you work in that kind of hours, time to forty years old, they're burnt out. You don't see too many chefs my age still working the twelve hour shifts and, and doing the stuff. I did. That's why I kind of went to teaching, you know. And when they do burn out, what tends to happen to them? I'm sure there's not an actual pattern pattern, but so you got somebody who had all these dreams. They worked their asses off to the point. They, bur they burned the candle at both ends, whatever euphemism you want to use. But at some point, they just were like fucking done. What happens then? They either get out of the business totally. They just say they commit culinary suicide, as we call it, or yeah, they just. Uh, maybe try other venues, but other other people out there they fail sometimes and they come back. Thomas Keller he failed his first restaurant. He owns the, the one over by you guys. What's his name? Uh, can't think of the name out there in California. But Thomas Keller is like one of the, the best chefs out there. Um, a lot of them had had great you know had restaurants and they failed and came back. American Laundry that's the restaurant out in California. Yeah, per se. In, in New York, like I mean, these these tie-in restaurants that, that like these guys had, and they failed the first time and, and and came back. You have to have the passion and really want to do it, and they're still doing it. I had like one of my best friends. He he was uh, one of my men. I worked with him when I got uh, got out of culinary school, and we worked together. And he he got burnt out. He he went to he learned to be a machinist. He said he was awesome chef, but he just didn't want to do it no more. He didn't want to work the hours. A lot of them got into this, this different trades. They just said, I'm, I'm done. I, want, I'm, I like to cook, but I don't want to do it for a living. Being a professional chef, does that affect your desire or ability to want to cook at home? Well, now I cook at home. I tell you, if I knew what I knew now, back in the day, um, you know, I would have cooked for all women because <laughs> it's fun. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a catch point, you know, mm -hmm. you say, oh, I'll, I'll cook you dinner. And, and, and women love guys that cook. I mean, and, and vice versa. If you're a woman, you know, guys love that women cook. So it doesn't matter wherever you, whoever your partner is, they love, you're going to cook for them because you put love into cooking, you know, and you put it out all out there and put it on the plate, man. It's also such a primal thing because food is one of the basic needs. And for somebody to provide you 
quality food, that just speaks right to the lizard brain. That's somebody taking care of you. It's such a fundamental need. And to cover it well just reflects so kindly and so wonderfully on the person doing it. Right. I've not made it while you are here, but I've got this family apple cake recipe that I use for um, control and emotional manipulation because it's so good. And I will take it to the gym and watch all of the people who do not eat anything other than egg whites fight over this cake. I know what I'm doing because it's such a good family recipe. It's emotional manipulation. Orgasm in your mouth, man. Orgasm is what it is. (laughs) Yes. I've known people who've worked in the food industry. And by the time they would get off work, they're done. They're just getting a burger from Mm -hmm. some fast food place or they're throwing pizza rolls in the oven. Yep. Yep. I did that many times, many years. I've done that. But I tell you, I met my wife, my, my, my wife, I'm now married 11 years to 12 years. And I, I mean, I was online. I just said I was a chef. And man, that, that was it. That was it. I just said, and you're a chef. Yep. And you carve ice too. I said, yep. <laughs> we were married, you know, you know, not too much longer. I mean, I was surprised because I was doing the online dating and all the responses. Well, I, you know, well, I said it was a chef <laughs> and they, they love that because, again, the, everybody here that they, they glamored all this. And, you know, but you could, you could tell the, the horror stories. You know, I, I, I could tell you so many war stories that you're working on a Saturday night and your dishwashers don't show up. So you got to wash dishes or at the end of the night, you don't get home till three o'clock or your sous chef burns a whole tray of, uh, of potatoes or, you know, uh, just, you know, just something like that. It's, it's just nightmares, man. You don't even th- you think of, and you go into some other places, and they're so nasty, they're dirty as anything, and you you, you wouldn't want to eat there. So there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> what would you say was your worst experience throughout your career? What was the thing that really just hit you hard? Um, I had a chef that I was when I was a sous chef. You had an executive chef, then you had an executive sous chef, and I was a sous chef. They would try to make me look bad for some reason. I don't know why. They would turn the oven up on me. I would put something in the oven and they would put it to 500 so I'd burn it. Or they would uh, just talk behind my back, stab me in the back. They would just try to mess me up somehow. Was it new guy hazing or was it very much, let's try to get this guy fired? Uh, let's try it. Well, because I think the, the, my, the executive sous chef was... I don't know. He was intimidated by me. I think he, he thought I wanted his job, which I didn't care about. But I was dating his ex-girlfriend, but I didn't know that. Uh. <laughs> so, so I guess he was just trying to get me back at that. And the chef, for some reason, he just thought, I mean, I would call him on stuff like, you know, he told me he was a master chef. I said, you're not a master chef. Yes, I am. I said, you're, you're, you know, you're 28 years old. I mean, I, he wasn't that old. He was like 30 years old. I said, no, no you're. And I would call him on stuff. He didn't like that. He didn't like to be called on stuff or be shown up with stuff. I, I don't like people that are, that are like that. I mean, I, I want to learn. I, I mean, I'll, t- I'll give anybody a recipe. I'll show them what to do. If you can do it better than me, great. Well, that's why you're a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. But some, but a lot of chefs are really, really insecure. They want to share like a recipe. Like, you got a good recipe. Well, I, I can't give it to you because, you know, it's my secret recipe. Bullshit. You know, I, 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 I tell my students, I, I'll give everybody the same recipe here. You go home and make these, like say, chocolate chip cookies. Same, same thing. I guarantee you, come back. They'll all be different. Everybody's oven's different. Everybody's going to put too much sugar in, too much chips, too much, going to bake them too long. I could give you a recipe. 
and you could do it, right? I could. Would it be the same as mine? No, it, it could be better than mine. You might put your own flair to it. That's what I do. I mean, I, I look up like I, I got to do a, um, a live TV spot tomorrow morning live. You know, I got, you know, I'm doing some different salsas and stuff. So I go on the Internet, look at look at, just, you know, what, what's out there. I take their stuff and I make it mine. And I just change a couple of ingredients, change the top. And that's it. And if you're going to put your stuff out there, people are going to share it. They want to use it. And, that, and that's great. Anybody's welcome to my stuff. I like But when I guess they start saying, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You know, you're an asshole. <laughs> Basically, I tell them. <laughs> how did that job where the sous chef was pissed at you because you're dating his ex, which you didn't know, the chef just turned out to be, well, just sounds like a major asshole. Did you eventually lose that job? Did you eventually leave? quit that i mean of course you did because here you are years later yeah i did i i, I quit um but I, I confronted the sous chef i just said you know what's your problem and uh and we, we got you know let's let's just say he had a fight he had a hurt leg when we were done <laughs> he, he he got hurt a little bit that's all and i then i quit and i just said uh, so i'm giving my my notice I'm, i can't work here and that was it. I'm done. Another time I was thinking too, probably more. Re- that, that's when I was in my early years. But later, we, when someone played with my numbers, we, we I, I ran a club, country club, and we were one of the top clubs in the area. And I was I was there probably eight, seven, eight years already. And we got new management in there, new general manager. I knew he wanted to bring his chef, and he brought his food and beverage manager. And they really couldn't fire me because, you know, the members really liked me. They liked my food. They liked, we had a great staff. Again, the intimidation of it. And I was making more money than the, than the food and beverage manager and almost as much as the general manager. And they didn't like the fact that I was making what I was making. So we could get someone in here for half your salary. So go for it. Fire me. See how well the members are going to take that. You got 12. We had 1,400 members. I said, yeah. Okay. And, and, and yeah, go for it. And but they just made my life miserable towards the end where I ended up leaving. But the funny thing was when I gave my resignation to the owner, because it was a private club, he offered me like 10 grand to stay. And I said, no, I can't work with these people. I'm sorry. I, I, I you know, I can't work. I, I just, you know, these guys were ripping you off. They were playing with the numbers and stuff. They were stealing liquor. And I said, just watch yourself. And he goes, oh, no, no, I don't think so. You, I think you're, you're a little over exaggerated. Okay. I ran into the owner like a year later. He said, Al, you're right. You were right. Sorry, I didn't listen to you because they were ripping them off. <laughs> I imagine that's quite prevalent in the industry. It is. Especially with a hands-off owner. Yeah, exactly. How often did fights occur? Because you did mention you had this fight with this one guy who deserved it. But how often, maybe not just with you, but just in general, how often? Because it's a very high emotion environment right i've had it break up a few fights a lot of times you know like people right you try to not to escalate it or most company policies if you're fighting you automatic termination and i had some guys um back you know utility help and they were kind of i'm not saying they were crazy but you know they were on the edge on the edge and little things would take them off um i had this really good guy he was a um Vietnam veteran. He just came back and he was, you know, he couldn't hear and handle loud noises. I mean, he was a super nice guy and he'd do anything for you. But, you know, sometimes, you know, he would freak out a little bit. He would go off and I would have to calm him down. And, and, but, you know, rightfully, someone threw a knife in the sink, 
you know, in the water and he grabbed it and he cut himself and he just went off, you know, it's like, so, I mean, I'll blame the guy, I would probably do the same thing, but I remember he went off at one time and this, this little things, I'm not, but I, I don't, I, through my years, I, I notice. I tell you what, now as an instructor, students today, they don't, they're not social like they used to be. They don't talk, they don't talk to each other and everybody's like, you know, you don't have that. Uh, interaction like you, you used to for something. We've become more isolated because of the social media and urban sprawl and COVID and all of that stuff. It's definitely a different world. Definitely. Yeah. What do you say to your students coming into the industry? How do you prepare them for the fact that it's harder than they think it is? They're signing up for a lot more work and aggravation than they really think they are. I tell them like it is. I mean, I just tell it like it is. I said, you know, first, like if I get a, like the first year students, the first thing I'll do is I'll go around the room and do yourself, you know, why, why are you here? What do you want to do? Where, and where do you see yourself in five years? You know, I'll ask them that. And like the second year students, I'll, I'll kind of say, you know, what, what are your goals? Is this what you thought it'd be after two years being here? Do you think is this what you want to do? Uh, and but, but I'll tell them the realities, like I said, about working holidays, weekends, nights. You're not going to make a lot of money for a while. It's not like you're going to graduate with an accounting degree or an IT degree and start out making 80 grand. Maybe you're going to start out making 25,000, if that. With student debt. Yeah, with student debt, right. That's why a lot of those culinary schools went under because, I mean, they were charging so much money and then the students didn't make that kind of money when they got out. Eventually you would, like when I tell them how much I made, you know, they think I'm, I'm really rich. I said, no, I said, but I didn't make that in the beginning. I started out, it took me probably five, at least five years before I started making any money. You got to pay your dues in this business. I mean, it's, you could be in the right place at the right time and meet the right people and you might look up, but your chances of getting on TV are, are pretty slim. You know, if you do, awesome. So I, I tell them straight up, I mean, you, you got to love it. Either you, either you love it or hate it. If you, if you don't love it, do something else. That's what I tell them. You mentioned that you had more mistakes and failures in your ice carving business. My first question to you is, how do you find your way into ice carving? How does that become like, a, you know what? This block of ice is speaking to me. I know that there's a dinosaur in it and I must bring it out. Yeah, it was kind of, it was weird because uh, we learned a little bit in culinary school I really didn't think too much about it. And then that was one of my first jobs. The chef handed me his chainsaw and tools that says, Al, I, I need you to car carve a block, carve me something for Thanksgiving. But I can't do this. What do you, what do you I, I did it one time. I carved a beer mug, you know, we, they gave us a little goblet to do at school. And that's, and he says, no, I, I, I kind of time. You got it. So I went down there. I carved a cornucopia for Thanksgiving. And chef looked at it and said, that's good. Can you carve a turkey? I said, I don't know. I'll try. And I carved a turkey. They liked it. So ever since then, I got started doing it. So I started doing it at this resort I was at. I just started doing a bunch. Then my name got out there because this is back 1984, 85. And my name got out there that I was doing it. No one in the New York area was hardly doing ice. Any in the country, for that matter. It wasn't really popular. Very, you know, Unless you were in a really high-end place, a resort. So I started doing some corporate events. I remember when uh, E.F. Hutton, I, I did their big letters. They put it in, on Wall Street. I carved it out live. I did um, Chase, Chase Manhattan logo. Well, a lot of stuff for the corporate stuff in New York City. And then I did um, this, this starting out, and I started getting really good at it. And I didn't think really it was going to end up opening the business. But after probably um, working in the country club, when I start, when I say I, I got burnt out when I was around 
40 years old, I left the country club and I opened Fire and Ice, my ice business. And when I started teaching, because I got the job teaching and I said, this money sucks. I got to do something. So I started doing the catering and catering is really hard work. If you ever catered, you make a lot of money, but it's hard. I said, I, I didn't want it. So, so I was incorporating my ice with catering. So I was giving free you know, ice carvings out for cheap. And I was thinking, well, I could sell an ice carving. You know, I can make for two ice carvings, which takes me probably a couple hours to do. I can make just as much money as catering a wedding. <laughs> which uh, that's a lot less work. A hell of a lot less work. Yeah, right. You go there, you set the ice up and you leave. <laughs> so, so that's how I got involved with that. And it was good money back in the day and still is. I mean, it's just, it's harder on your body. The older you get, it's hard. I mean, it's very physical. It's very holding a chainsaw, die grinders, all power tools. The vibrations, because I know it screwed up your shoulders. That's, yeah, well, that's why my shoulder's like it is. You know, that's why I can't lift it over my head, my right, from chipping and ice and doing all that, my right, my right arm. Was there any way you could have mitigated that? Was it a technique thing or just you just did so much work? There was nothing you could have done. You don't think about it. You don't even, I didn't even think about it. I didn't really notice it until I started really getting around 2015. I, I started getting doing CrossFit and that's when I really noticed it. Mm. And I probably injured it more doing that. Yeah, we all injure ourselves at CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so, so I think that might have, you know, definitely aggravated it. So yeah, it's affecting us with the push-ups too. And I'm doing them, but it's killing me. I was surprised to see you doing that because of the shoulders. Yeah, I know a lot of people were, but I, you know, it 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 just hurts more going up. I could, you know, it, it affects most of my strength is on my left arm. So we're doing them, you know. <laughs> so. so what was what were some of the mistakes you made in this business? Well. Not charging enough was one sometimes because people, you know, like say, oh, well, it's this ice. It's going to melt. It's going to go away. I said, yeah, you're right. It is. But can you do it? Do you want it? How bad do you want it? And after a while, I said, okay, well, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you don't want it. So right now, you know, an ice sculpture, a single block ice sculpture, 300 pounds block starts around 450, 500 bucks. It used to be like when I first got in the business, you know, $200. And blocks of ice you could buy for $30. Now a block of ice costs, oh, probably probably $100 just for the block. So, and, and it's time. It's a time you put into it and how elaborate. And, and the technology today with ice has is, is, is come such a long way. I mean, there's, there's computer-generated ice, CNC ice. Basically, you, put your, you plug the program in, the, the machine cuts it, you basically finish it. I mean, I was doing old school 3D carvings with a chainsaw and the die grinders, which, you know, I, I got to do one this, for this weekend for a wedding. Um, so I, I'm so, I would say I'm retired, but people call me and I said, ah, I spent a lot of money last week in California. So it's just, you know, I'll, I'll go out and spend some more, you know, do some more, you know, ice. That's what I did. This thing that's happening this weekend for this wedding, how long will it take you in time to make this carving? It won't take me more than an hour. Okay. I don't work out. I don't work in the freezer. I work outside the freezer. So I work fast. Okay. Um, uh, people, a lot of sh uh, carvers work in the freezer. I don't. I never did. I never, well, I never had a big freezer big enough where I could work in. Well, yeah, I did, but I just, I don't like the cold. I mean, I go, I would compete, you know, up in Michigan every year, you know, wherever in, in cold areas. And, and, but nah, I, I would rather be, be, be warm out <laughs> and, and carve the ice. Just got to work fast. <laughs> Okay. So you didn't charge enough. 
And also it did take a huge piece out of your shoulder. But the horror stories were more getting it from point A to point B without breaking it and setting it up. So that's those, you know, were probably, you know, you have some mishaps and every once in a while, you know, everybody breaks them. They all do. There's, There's only a handful of ice carvers in the country, you know, got popular for a while probably, you know, then it kind of, you know, with the economy slowing down and everything else. So a lot of businesses just closed up, especially with COVID. You know, I was fortunate enough where I said I was going to retire right then. Right, I said, when I turn 60, I'm going to retire, right? It happened during COVID. So it was a perfect time for me. My shop is basically on my property. So, so I don't have a storefront. I mean, it's not like I have a whole bunch of ice corpses done to have to show off. I mean, I have pictures and stuff. I had a website and all that stuff. I shut it all down and do you want it? I saw, I'll send you a picture. Do you want this? Do you want this? This is what I can do. It's definitely a different, a unique business. Again, people, it gives that wow factor to anything, the weddings and stuff or a party or anything. And I even gotten a couple, you know, I got a movie, did some for movies and stuff. So it was, it was neat. I'm going to ask you to put on your teacher hat. As somebody who's been in like 40 years in the food industry, started your own business, and you are teaching the next generation. What is your best advice you can give to somebody starting off on their journey? And it doesn't have to necessarily be for culinary of something for them that they should be doing and something they shouldn't be doing. Okay. First of all, if you want to do it, be passionate about it. I, I think I tell them, you know, think anybody great out there, whether you're an actor, an artist, an athlete, what do they do to get great? I mean, they practice all the time, their craft, and they love it. They're passionate about it. Be passionate about what you do. Take pride in it. You take pride in whether you're cooking, whatever you do, no matter what, whether you're cleaning bathrooms, you're sweeping floors, you take pride in whatever you do. You do 100% and do a great job. It's just so much better. You're going to love it. You know, what's, I forget that phrase, you know, if you love what you do, you, you never work a day in your life. Some people like, you know, like they're, they're great actors. They're really good at what they do. They're passionate about it. Artists, uh, songwriters, um, I, I see. Uh, and, and even, pe- you know, whether you're an accountant, if you love numbers, I couldn't do that. <laughs> I'm more like a kinetic person. But, but whatever you do, be passionate about it. And, and, you'll, and you'll be successful if you're passionate. If, if you're not, if you're taking it as, as a job, you're not going to be successful. You got to put your heart and soul into whatever you do. I mean, that's what I do. And, and, and I'll tell anybody that. And you could see, you could see the, the greatness coming out of some of them that are really passionate. And finally, take this moment and put out whatever you would like to put out. Where can people find you? Plug yourself, however, wherever you want to. Well, I'm in North Carolina right now. <laughs> and um, I'm on Facebook. I'm Al Romano on Facebook. I'm Chef Al Romano on Instagram. And that's, I'm not a big social media person. I'm, I'm really learning how to do it. You know, I, honestly, I'm just, I'm not. I'm, just like a fish to a bicycle. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I, I, you know, I have people help me sometimes to do it, put it out there. I mean, I used to have a website, but I don't anymore. So um, I have a lot of pictures on my Facebook and stuff ice sculptures and and from the past but um i'm at my college i'm i just got to be a, a officially a professor which is kind of an honor uh, i don't know how many chef professors you know but uh, which is it's kind of neat so i'm officially that you find me you know riding my harley you see me on car shows a lot of times i i built an old corvette i i love cars and bikes and 
you know, and, and just enjoying myself, having a good time. That's, that's, that's what I love to do.